Well, if you have your uh, sheet from two weeks ago, which it's like, wow, if you do, that's amazing. It's titled Satan and Demons in the New Testament. And uh, we covered the section that says demons have personality and power. And we were halfway through the second section, Satan and demons are perverted and will be punished. I gave you four Ps, personality, power, perversion, and punishment. And uh, we did not cover the section that Satan and his demons will be punished. And so that's where we're going to pick up tonight. Also, last time, I was really struggling because I really thought I had a verse that talked clearly about demons having emotion. And uh, sad to say, I, I think I was just wrong. That I, what The verse that I thought I saw, I didn't actually see. I, I think what I saw was in those uh, accounts of Jesus driving the demons out of legion, that were the demons, and we even talked about this, where the demons were begging and pleading uh, or imploring Jesus. I think it was that aspect that I was tying to emotion. I thought I saw trembling or something in there, but didn't see that. Hey, Logan is here. Hey, good evening. Your uh, children okay? Are they home? Okay, all right. Well, welcome. So, um, okay, let's finish up this section of uh, the lesson where it looks at the ultimate punishment of Satan and his demons. And we have uh, passages from Matthew and from Revelation. So, could I get someone to grab Revelation 12, 7? You can get that for us, Joseph. Someone to get Revelation 16, 13 through 16. Revelation 16, 13 to 16. Ellie? Matthew 25:41, Matthew 25:41. Greg, going once, going twice. Greg, and uh, Matthew 8:29. Who can get Matthew 8:29 for us? The last one to grab for now. Mike, thank you. So um, we are going to first see how, of course, demons are Satan's servants. We've been learning this all along, but in Revelation 12:7, uh, we have this interesting insight. I think we even looked at this. Uh, sometime a number of weeks ago, but with someone, whoever had that verse read Revelation 12, 7? Joseph, thank you. It says, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war for the dragon. The dragon and his angels waging war. Okay, so again, uh, we're just jumping into the middle of something. There's a lot going on in Revelation that we could see. But for the purposes of our study this evening, look at the verbiage here that you have the dragon, who is Satan in Revelation, the dragon and his angels waged war. So uh, demons are fallen angels. They are the angels of Satan. They are his servants. Okay, And they share in the same end as their master, Satan. What's going to happen to Satan, how he will be punished forever and ever, that's how the demons are going to be punished. They're linked together in that sense. And Matthew 25, 41 reveals that. Who had Matthew 25? Okay. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. All right, so this is Jesus talking about the sheep and goat judgments. And the goats, those who are on his, his left, I, a lot of times I'm doing like left and right the way you see it, but this is my right, so that's not correct, his left. Uh, the goats are on his left, they will go away into where? Does it say there, Greg? They will go to... Eternal fire. Wow. It's not a fire that's temporal. It's a fire that's eternal. It will go on and on and on. And that fire was prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Okay. So it's not just the devil. It's not just demons. It's the devil and his angels. It's Satan 
and demons, they will be ultimately punished. Now, at the end, there will be a final attempt at battle. Um, they, they do know that their demise is uh, certain, okay? If they were to take a quiz, if demons were to take a quiz, they would say, yeah, we're, there's a day coming where we're going to be ultimately judged by God. Uh, but even so, there's going to be a final attempt at battle. A uh, couple of verses that point that out. Matthew 8.29, was that you, Mike? Okay, Matthew 8.29, what does it say? And they cry out, saying... What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? All right, so there's their knowledge. They're, the demons are asking Jesus, are you here to torment us before the time? So they know that there's a time coming, that there's utter torment coming for them. Yet there's going to be this final battle. Revelation 16, 13 to 16, Ellie. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. All right, so we have heard about Armageddon before. You've at least seen the movie, Bruce Willis and the asteroid <laughs> and all that stuff. Uh, well, this is the biblical Armageddon here. And notice how it originates. It starts back in verse 13. This is Revelation 16, verse 13. Out of the mouth, uh, mouth not the mouth, the mouth of the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, come unclean spirits like frogs. They are the spirits of demons, it says in verse 14, which is a really interesting way of phrasing that because demons are spirits, but I don't know how to explain that to you, so sorry. Uh, they perform signs which go out of the king's or go out to the kings of the whole world. And they gather them together for this great battle. And uh, we know that it's not only here that this happens, but also in Revelation 20, if you want to turn there with me, if you're already in Revelation, at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released. You know, he's held captive for a thousand years during Jesus' earthly reign. And when the thousand years are completed, it says in Revelation 20, verse 7, Satan will be released... He will come out to deceive the nations, verse 8, which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, maybe you've heard of that before. Ezekiel talked about Gog and Magog, and here it is again. And he's gathering them together for war. So there's battling happening at the end, even though their demise is certain, even though they know that there's a day coming where there's torment, even though Jesus has said they will be tormented forever in the lake of fire, they still try to battle at the end, which is very interesting. Um, they will be released from their confinement for a time, only to be relegated uh, to the lake of fire forever and ever. So that's what's going on there at the end of Revelation. There you go. Satan and his demons will be punished. God will win. That's good news, huh? Amen. Thoughts, questions on that reality? In my, yes. And in my Bible, it shows verse 15 in brackets. In... Um, Chapter 16, what you were reading? Yes, 16, verse 15. 
Yeah, mine, uh, the New American Standard has it in parentheses, not oh, yeah. hard brackets. Yeah, so that's, it's not that it's a questionable verse as far as um, like manuscripts or anything like that. Uh, this, apparently the parentheses are original, but I, I'd have to check in on that because that kind of caught me off guard too. So, yeah. Other thoughts, questions? Are you happy that Satan and his demons will be punished forever? Are you happy that God will win? Hopefully you believe it too, right? Yeah, that's the important part. Okay, well, um, let's get to our sheet tonight, the sheet I handed out to you, uh, where we're going to talk about for the next two weeks, and this may bleed over into our final Wednesday night of the year, so maybe two and a half weeks, where we're talking about the tactics of demons. And I've divided it up to where this first lesson is going to be the tactics of demons with unbelievers, and the next one will be the tactics of demons among believers, among Christians, because those two things are different. Um, obviously, Christians and non-Christians are different, and the spiritual world, the demonic realm, recognizes that. Unbelievers have certain vulnerabilities that believers don't have. Unbelievers, of course, have a lack of power that believers have. Believers have been equipped with power from on high. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, we have the church. Uh, we have the armor of God. There's all these realities that the believer has, but that doesn't mean that we are immune to the demonic realm either. So we'll explore that. But first, let's talk about the tactics of demons among unbelievers. And the first thing I want to communicate is that these tactics do vary widely. They, there's just a variety of strategies and tactics. And the general idea is that demons are opposed to truth. Demons are committed to falsehood. Demons are committed to uh, being against Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Uh, they are against the church because we are the church of Jesus Christ. As Christians, together, we are Jesus' people. And so they are just against us and against any of our efforts. So when you think about those who are not Christians, they are our, our target in a good way uh, with the Great Commission, right? Right? We want to reach them with the gospel. Well, demons also want to reach them, or at least keep, the, keep us from reaching them. And so uh, there's this general opposition that they have to all things true and good and godly. And it's through a, uh, a series of distractions and even the ability to disable people that demons do this. And there's a lot of scriptural evidence for that. But the first thing I want to show you is... Uh, in the two letters to Timothy. So let's all go to 1 Timothy 4 together. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And the first thing I want to show you is that demons can distract and disable people without even indwelling them, without quote-unquote possessing them. Demons, demons can do that without a, a direct involvement, tangible involvement in people's lives. And so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses, uh, we'll just go to 1 through 5, and look here at what demons are up to as Paul describes it. Who can get 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5? Logan, go ahead. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. All right, so there are certain doctrines out there that are false doctrines that can be called doctrines of demons. And people can be led astray, distracted by, captivated by falsehood, and not directly affected by a demon. But they can, they can be led astray by demons, in a manner of speaking, in the sense that demons have false teachings out there that are captivating people. In uh, 2 Timothy 2, the end of 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy to uh, correct those who oppose with gentleness and, you know, God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth so that they may escape the snare of the devil, is what it says. So there's a snare, there's a trap that Satan and his demons have out there. And, of course, it can happen where there's a direct touching of the unbeliever or an indwelling of the unbeliever. But it doesn't have to be. That snare comes in many, many forms. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with that tangible contact. So if you think about all the world religions that are out there that oppose what God has revealed in the Bible. We could say, to some degree or another, we have a lot of doctrines of demons out there, right? False gospels, just a, a, a lot of snares that have entangled so many people where they've gotten caught up in things. That doesn't mean every single person who is in one of those religions is possessed by a demon. That's, that's not what that means. And now it's obviously a possibility for any individual to be demonized. But we can say that their doctrines are leading many, many people astray. The examples that are there in uh, 1 Timothy 4 are interesting, aren't they? Doctrines of demons, instructing them not to eat certain foods. Out of all the things that you could think of, what, what kind of doctrines are de of demons are out there? Goat sacrifice or, you know, your mind goes to like these crazy places of all these different things. How about just making a list of foods you can eat and foods you can't eat? Doctrine of demons. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, forbidding marriage is listed too. Of course, the biggest church in the world is that way, the Roman Catholic Church, forbidding marriage for their priests. Um, here it says that such a thing is a doctrine of demons. But it's not just uh, world religions. There's also just secular humanism that exists out there in the world that there is no God, or if there is a God, we can't know him. Just be agnostic and just be the best uh, human you can be for the sake of being the best human you can be. It's really a circular and nonsensical view. But even that, you could say, is a doctrine of demons. It's distracting from truth. It's distracting from the one true God and the true gospel. And so um, lots and lots of doctrines of demons out there. And these demons are, of course, doing Satan's will, as we've said many times, they're lying, they're tempting, they're persecuting, they're infecting, they're influencing people, all for the sake of leading them astray, keeping them from the one true God. Thoughts, questions on that? About how they generally oppose truth? Okay. Well, someone might ask... <clears throat> Uh, and I think this question has come up in this class at some point. If, if demons know their end, like if they know the day, capital D day, as Mike read in that one passage in Matthew 8, have you come to torment us before the day? If they know that there's a day coming, then why do they do what they do? Why are they, are they even trying, right? And I was thinking about that today. I was marinating on that for a while. And 
you know, the reality is they're creatures and they're fallen creatures. And what is one of the biggest pitfalls of being a fallen creature? It's, well, there, there are a lot, but one of the biggest is that we can be self-deceived. Isn't that a weird thing? I, I've quoted this to you before. There's an author out there who says, how can, how can I lie to me and I buy it? Right? Self-deception. I'm doing this deceiving and I'm the one being deceived. It's such a weird thing. Well, demons can be self-deceived, can't they? Um, think of how, you know, Christians... Think of this. If Christians know that all of life is for Christ, that this life is for service to God, if that uh, God has saved us, not just as fire insurance, but He saved us to live a life holy and set apart for Him, how is it that we still go astray sometimes? It's that, now, take that same question and apply it to, if demons know that there's a day coming, why do they do what they do? It's because we can all be self-deceived, can't we? We can be led uh, astray in our case, and for them, they can be led astray in a different sense, thinking that they can defeat Christ. Well, let's go to Luke uh, chapter 6. There's a passage I want to show you there, Luke 6, 17 to 19. As we think about demons doing Satan's will, we're going to see some interesting events tonight uh, that are recorded in the New Testament. And here's one of them. Someone want to read this for us? Luke 6, 17 to 19. Hey, thank you. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples, a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to, meet, to hear him and to be healed of the diseases, of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people who were trying to touch him, were, uh, the power was coming from him and healing them all. Okay. So what we'll find in the New Testament when it comes to uh, how demons act in people's lives, especially with unbelievers, is you just get little bits and pieces like this where you can read through this and even miss it. At the end of verse 18, those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. It's just like, boop, it's happening. And they were being fixed, and now we move on. It's like, well, I want to know more about what that means, right? I want, I want more detail. But we, we do well to focus on these, to slow down and say, well, well, look, it was happening. There were unclean spirits who were troubling people, and I don't think it was any coincidence they were troubling the people who were in Jesus' vicinity during his ministry as he's getting ready to preach to the people here because demons are generally opposed to God's program, generally opposed to truth. Now, um, when it comes to what demons do with unbelievers, and this is basically where we're going to spend the rest of our time tonight, the most eff effective way that they influence unbelievers and the most invasive way they interact with unbelievers is what can sometimes be called demon possession. Uh, a better word, though, is demonization. Okay? Demonization. You won't find the word, or the term, I guess, demon possession in the New Testament, there's a, a Greek word, daimonizomai, which means demonization. It doesn't mean possession. There's nothing in there that means possession. And something that can happen in our minds that would say to me that we should be using this word instead. Because what, what can happen in our minds is that 
we can think possession as ownership. Demon possession as ownership. Demons don't own anything. Okay, you understand that? Satan doesn't own anything. We sing that hymn, this is my father's world. So even though uh, Satan is the ruler of this world, he's the god of this age, the whole world lies in his power, he doesn't own it. Uh, God created all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He owns it. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind. And when we say demon possession, our minds can start thinking that uh, a demon owns somebody, but that's not true. As Dickinson says in his book on angels, he says that demons are intruders and usurpers. It's a better way to think about it. They're intruders. They're pests. They're uh, vermin. They are, uh, what is it? You can call it like rats and stuff. Vectors? Is that right? Disease vectors. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's what they are. If no one's called them that before, we're going to call them that. Okay? And, uh, and so what they can do is they can come in and they can indwell. So what this word means is that they can infect or indwell. And I would say there are plenty of times, of course, when we mean that, when we say demon possession, and that's fine. You know, I'm not saying don't ever use... Uh, the word demon possession, I just think this might help us in our thinking. Because what it means is they're infecting and dwelling or indwelling a person. Okay? They can um, even control to a degree. Again, don't confuse this with ownership. However, there is a level of control that they are allowed to have in the lives of some unbelievers. And uh, it's true, too, that one or more may reside in a person. Uh, Legion, of course, was uh, the great example of that, where there were thousands of demons dwelling in him, apparently. But in Acts chapter 5, verses uh, 14 through 16, we, uh, we see some demonization happening that requires healing. And it may indicate that there were a number of demons indwelling certain individuals. But in Acts chapter 5, 14, I'll read it. It says, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed." And so, uh, you know, whether you've got one or multiple indwelling a person, um, again, here's a situation where it might indicate there are multiple indwelling single individuals, um, they're in need of healing. This is what we just saw in Luke chapter 6, and we see it here in Acts chapter 5. There are results being manifested through demonization that require healing, and the apostles were able to heal just as Jesus was. And apparently, just like Paul had his handkerchief that was potent, Peter's shadow uh, was potent because people were wanting just to get uh, his shadow cast on them. Uh, so throughout the Bible, the whole Bible, we see demons here and there, but uh, it does seem most concentrated here in the Gospels and Acts. There are 17 times in the Gospels where uh, demons are explicitly mentioned, or demonization specifically is mentioned. So... Um, you can catch a lot of details about that in the Gospels. But thoughts to this point? Brandon? As far as de demons, 
are they all fallen angels? Kind of a two-part question. And then as far as like the spirits of like wicked men or whatever, you know, can they roam the earth as well? Like is that, is that a thing too? Or Yeah, good question. Yeah, so um, it, it's interesting. There, uh, there are some people out there. It's a extreme minority, which never means something is wrong, but it's always you know worth noting. Uh, extreme minority who says that demons are not fallen angels, but that demons instead are the result of fallen angels breeding with humans. So the Nephilim, in that view, would be demons, uh, real demons, and that. Um, Fallen angels would just be fallen angels, not demons. It's, it's kind of a strange view. Um, and <laughs> it makes it really difficult to deal with certain passages, which is why I think it's an extreme minority. Um, but yes, demons are fallen angels. All demons are fallen angels. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where we could divide those two and say demons are this thing and fallen angels are that thing. Some people try it and they can't be consistent on it. As for uh, the spirits of people who have died, uh, people go to one, or t- one of two places. So it used to be only one place. People would go to Sheol, the grave, and they would be either in Abraham's bosom or they would be in Hades. Well, now uh, people either go to Hades still, or if that person dies in the Lord, that person goes to be with the Lord. So uh, those are the options for a person when he dies. When a person is in Hades, that person can't come back. Explicitly in Luke chapter 16, you have the rich man saying to Jesus, or saying to Abraham rather, let me come back. I want to go tell my brothers. So they don't go here. And the answer is you can't. Okay, so you're you're locked in. And Hebrews uh, 9.27 is also pretty instructive where it says it is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. And so it seems as though what the author of Hebrews there is telling us is after you die, that's it. There's no more life to be lived, nothing else to rack up that will be judged later. You die, what's done in this life will then be judged. Yeah. So Satan can't, if there's wicked men that he, that's in Hades, he can't put them upon the earth. Correct. Yep, yep, that's right. Other thoughts or questions? Well, piggybacking on what Brandon was asking, um, you know, demons are immaterial. They can only be in one place at one time, but that doesn't mean that they can't be around specific people. Oh, yeah. Right. So when people are, again, trying to contact spirits through a medium or whatever, it is entirely possible, I, I believe that it happens, that they will say factual things that occurred in that person's life, mm-hmm. again, to lend themselves legitimacy. Yeah. Totally. And lead that person down a path that leads away from God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Good. Okay. Well, um, as we consider demonization, I have there on your sheet, demonization wears many hats. Not sure if that's the best illustration, but it's a common enough phrase. I thought it would work. Uh, basically, you know, we start thinking about this by saying there's a spectrum of control. There's a spectrum of impact that demons can have over a person. So for an interesting case, let's look at Luke 13. Again, most of the cases, I don't know if I should say most, but a large concentration of the cases of demonization are found in the Gospels. And in Luke chapter 13, check out this one, verses 10 to 13. Luke 13, 10 to 13. Rex, thanks. Uh, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. 
And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. All right. So, yeah, contrast this with legion. Legion, you've got, you know, they're putting chains on him, and he's breaking chains, and he's uh, doing all kinds of, like, supernatural manifestation type stuff. This lady just got a bad back. I mean, I say just got a bad back. She's bent, bent over and everything, and it's been that way for a long time. But, you know, in our view, our just human-to-human view, it's like, she's got a jacked-up back. She's got scoliosis or something. You know, we don't know. It's just a health issue. Well, what's interesting is that the Scripture gives us insight that this was, verse 11, caused by a spirit. Now, isn't that crazy? It's a sickness, like a bad back, caused by a spirit. So, Andy, was the demon removed in your surgery? Uh, That's a trick question. (laughs) So, obviously, not every case of a bad back is a demon, but... It's interesting that we have here in the scriptures a case where a bad back was caused by a demon. And so there's a spectrum of control or impact, you know, that demons can have, obviously. It's not always going to look the same. It's not always going to manifest itself the same way. And we've learned, too, in our study that some demons are more wicked than others. They're all wicked, but some are more wicked than others. Jesus' phrase, a demon going out and grabbing seven demons more wicked than itself. Okay, that's what he's saying. Now, there's a spectrum of wickedness. They're all wicked. None of them are righteous, but there's a spectrum there. Okay. And what's also interesting that we see in the scriptures is that the origination of demonization differs. So just like the manifestations differ, the reason why they're demonized differs. It's not because they all went and played Ouija boards, in other words. Okay. That's, it's not like, uh, you know, you go to this one place to get your demon. There are a variety of reasons why people are demonized in Scripture. And so let's turn back to Exodus chapter 20 together. But someone uh, grab Mark 9, 20 to 21 for us. Mark 9, 20 to 21. Logan, thank you. Okay, so um, we know that, of course, there are some people who end up being demonized because they have essentially invited demons into their lives. Some people can get into some really dark stuff. They can get into some really dark spirituality where, you know, it's kind of like not even disguised. You are playing with demons. People want that. Okay, now that's one way to get into that realm is you're essentially just asking for it. Uh, We know, too, that there are people out there who don't realize that's what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. They're seeking experiences. They're speaking some sort of confirmation of the supernatural. And so they go dabbling with stuff. They're playing with fire. And that not as intentionally but still happening, they're inviting demons into their lives. They're seeking those kind of confirmations and experiences outside of Scripture. But there's also this thing going on in Exodus 20 and Mark 9. We can see some generational impact type stuff. Okay, so Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, we're right here in the middle of God giving the Ten Commandments. It's like, what does this have to do with demons? Well, Exodus 20, starting at verse 4, Consider how God talks about generations here. I'll read it for us. It says, you, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And let's pause right there. 
What have we learned that so many idols or lowercase g gods are? Demons, okay. Okay, so you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. And this is, again, a good place where we could cross-reference like 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that an idol isn't anything, a false god isn't anything, but I do not want you to become sharers in demons. There are demons behind those, okay? So verse 5, uh, you shall not worship them, you shall not serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So this whole second, third, fourth generation type thinking is interesting in Scripture, and it can create some difficult questions for us to try to answer. But there is this reality that uh, so often sins get perpetuated through generations. The sins of the father get repeated by the children. Not, they don't have to be. They certainly don't have to be. But so often they do. And God here is saying, for the third, the fourth generation of those who hate me, he's going to visit their iniquity. All right? And so I think what we can infer, and this isn't an inference here, this isn't like a solid thing, is that um, there are some demons that can latch on to certain families and can impact certain families through multiple generations. And another place where we get evidence of this is in Mark chapter 9. So Logan, if you've got Mark 9, 20 and 21, listen to the details of this particular uh, demonization experience. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. There's a demon that's been affecting a boy from childhood. I mean, you can, of course, understand that he's a boy, so he's still a child in many senses of the term. But it's been happening maybe his whole life. I don't think a little toddler is out there inviting demons into his life. I don't think a little toddler is out there looking for the Ouija board or anything like that, right? And so uh, to me, that indicates there is something that the parents have set up for the child that has exposed him to that. And so um, not everybody is demonized in the same way is, again, that big point that we're making here. And, and some are victims of being exposed to that kind of thing, I think, by, by even their parents. Now, I should have some thoughts or questions on that because that's, you know, a little bit different than what we've been talking about. Now I'm talking during the Jesus movement. He 
uh, that he talked about, like the LSD back then, you know, the drugs mm -hmm. and that, all that. He was looking for God is what he was looking for. But getting into all those things were opening doors yes. that should have never been opened. Yes. <clears throat> um, here in, I don't know, maybe next week, um, I'll be talking about just some of the basic rules of thumb that we should have as Christians to guard ourselves against demonic influence. And one of them is self-control. I mean, when we think about addiction of any kind, whether it's yeah, pornography, drugs, whatever, um, addiction is ultimately idolatry, and it's a lack of, total lack of self-control. I can't live without fill-in-the-blank. And when we are in that state, we are ultimately influenceable. We, we can, if we don't have self-control, then something else is going to control us, right? That's why it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Spirit brings self-control. And uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Any, those addictions open the door. That's it. Joseph. Um, can you explain again when you mentioned, like, demonic influence for multiple generations? Like, what did you mean by that, I guess? Yeah, well, um, so many examples of things like this when it comes to demons come from the mission field. And uh, I think there are some reasons for that because maybe the, the top reason being um, in so many more primitive cultures, demonic influence looks a lot like it did in the Bible. Uh, now in our third world you know, civilization, I think demonization wears a different hat and it doesn't exactly match what we see in the Gospels all the time. Uh, but when you go to, like a, uh, sorry, our first world, if you go to a third world country, um, you'll see all kinds of spiritism explicitly where they're engaging with spirits and they raise their children in that. And they teach them to do the same rituals and the same chants and the same practices and they just go right into it. And if we believe that spiritism isn't just like speaking to the air, but there's actually something supernatural going on, it's just bad supernatural then that means that this whole playing with demons gets passed on to the kids. It gets put onto the kids at an early age, and it becomes a part of their life as they grow up. So um, that's a really like, extreme way of looking at it, but maybe that's helpful as we start thinking of other ways it could look even here in our country. Yeah, sure. I think maybe a new age, too, with crystals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep, for sure. The, um, you know, it's kind of interesting, the... Uh, the, I didn't bring it in here, that book by Fred Dickinson about angels. It was written in the 80s or 90s, and he talks a lot about the occult. And at that time, I think the occult was maybe more prominent than it is now, or more, I shouldn't say prominent, explicit than it is now. Um, now, I think there are just so many different ways that we are influenced by the demonic realm that we don't even realize. But at that time, it was a lot more of the uh, like Ouija board type stuff was going on. It was more popular. But now we have crystals, I think, uh, is one of those things where people get really into that, thinking they can connect with the spiritual realm. It is popular um, through vibrations, through certain sounds and things like that. And yeah, you're, you are engaging in a spiritual activity. There's no doubt about it. It's just a, an evil one. Yeah. Okay. Greg, and then... Pamela again. Go ahead, Greg. Back on the, um, the demons can affect your health. Yeah. That, that, I mean, I know that that gets abused horribly. That if you had enough faith, mm -hmm. you would be healed. But how, how do you, 
we would deal with that. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's an odd one to me. That's, an, uh, that's hard to kind of comprehend. Well, how do you, I have a backache. I don't <laughs> yeah, that's I don't right. We could see people who really are yes. and it's a demon. And well, and uh, maybe it would be helpful to think of it from another angle where we find out in Scripture. This is in 1 Corinthians 11, where uh, Paul talks about because the Corinthians were not observing the Lord's table correctly, some of them were sick because of that. God's discipline shows up in sickness too. So the challenge, as a, of course, as a pastor is uh, like having any certainty at all about that, right? Someone's sick and is like, well, is this because I've been disobedient or is this a demon or am I just sick? Uh, you know, and then I start rolling dice to figure out the answer, then I'm in trouble too, you know? So no, uh, no, it's just, a, it's, it's really difficult. We have to recognize those are options. I don't have Jesus's certainty on this. I don't have the certainty of an apostle who's able to say this is what's going on and calls out the demon. I just don't have that. I don't know if I can have that. But what I can do, what any believer can do from like a counseling perspective is explore what's going on in that person's life. Seek out areas where there is disobedience, somewhere where there's, you've been straying from the word, somewhere where you've maybe opened yourself up to demonic influence and counsel back toward truth. Because, again, we'll learn uh, as we talk about our tactics to guard ourselves. Uh, truth is extremely important. Where truth resides, uh, that will make the demons flee. Resist the devil and he will flee from you is a promise in Scripture. And so um, what we can do if someone has that concern is, is go into those areas and do biblical counseling. Pamela. So what you were saying about the the generation the generational person that in uh, Genesis uh, chapter fifteen uh, verse let me see if I can read mm. the glasses on sixteen where God is telling Abraham that the descendants are gonna right. uh, you know he's, that his descendants you know they're gonna he, he's gonna inherit you know his descendants are gonna inherit the land but not yet with the uh, the nation of the Amorites until the fourth generation mm -hmm. because their iniquity has not yet been filled. Yes. And then in the Old Testament, and reading it, we see that God does send the Israelites in you know, Joshua to execute his justice to certain of those um, what do you want, uh, civilizations. Yeah, well, yeah, it was supposed to be all of them, but well, yeah. But there were certain ones that he said that they had to annihilate yeah. everybody because, uh, and he tells you later on in the Old Prophets of why, because they were, they were sacrificing their babies <coughs> to these little G-O-D-S, you know, these demonic, you know, gods right. on the altar. And um, because they, they, that entire, they were so steeped into the demonic, and, and there's a real life thing going on with Hamas over there, where with their kids, they trained them from... Oh. Two, three years old. Pardon? Yeah, but no, but they train them to hate the Jew. They show them how to cut their throat. How to, these, these are little ones that yeah. they're doing to. And what they did with, with the babies, that the horrific of what happened where they put the babies in the oven, just like what they used to do on the... Uh, um, to Moloch, yeah. The, the, yeah, to Moloch and Baal, Baal or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they put them in the oven of here in this, just on October 7th, that's what they did. Yeah. They, they did this horrendous thing that most people don't know that that this 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 generation of babies and they're asking they're praying the Israelites are praying 
asking for someone that will be called by God to go and not only reach these little ones that have been steeped in this demonic mm -hmm. influence. Uh, to live in Gaza, to be uh, a missionary for these, because how are you going to reach yeah. these that well, and, and that's, uh, I mean, the, the hope is that Christ breaks those chains, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, that's, the, that's the good news, that's the hope, is that it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Um, and so that's why it is so important that we reach people with the gospel, however they've been affected negatively in the world. Um, that's not too big of, a, of an order for Christ, is it? Uh, I, we could go around the room and share testimonies. Like I could share my own testimony, how... Uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was not given Christian advantages in life. I could have repeated what was going on in my dad's life. Mm -hmm. But by God's grace, I'm here in Utah, <laughs> of all places. And, uh, but it, it's just God's goodness through the gospel, and, and the gospel's paramount. What, what was that? Hey, well, yeah, that is part of that, uh-huh, for sure. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yes, sir. If I can throw one out there, and this one's going to hit a little bit closer to home. Um, not excusing what happened in Israel with Hamas, but we have in this country very organized peoples who say that it is a good and right thing for a woman to go into an abortion clinic mm -hmm. and to have her child literally dismembered in the womb and yep. sucked out with a vacuum cleaner yep. by doctors who have completely jettisoned the entire Hippocratic Oath. Mm -hmm. We've had 63 million human beings destroyed in this country. Mm -hmm. That was a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. That's more than died in World War II. Mm -hmm. I mean, there. let's not fool ourselves. That, this happens here. Mm -hmm. And it happens, and it happens yes. everywhere. And it manifests itself in different ways. But I mean, the entirety of the of the uh, sterile uh, idea of having alternative families, they have one very common thing, and that is that they are sterile, no children are born, it's it's just a wickedness and a, hate, a hatred against humanity. Yeah, is what it what it is. Slaughtered on the altar of self worship. Yes, yep, that's it. And um, we have to bear in mind when we think about the work of Satan and demons. John chapter eight, Jesus tells us, Satan, when he lies, he lies from his own nature because he's the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. Demons are all about two things: lying and killing. Mm. That's what they do, and so. Even though demonization wears many hats, it's all the fruit of the, that root, lying and killing. And so let's all go to Mark 9 together because uh, this is where Logan just was. Because I think we'll start seeing these things uh, more and more explicitly, these fruits of uh, the roots of lying and killing. As we hit these pretty quickly, I've got eight examples from the New Testament of demonization and they all stem from lying and killing. Mark 9, I'll start reading in verse 17. It says, One of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, 
and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible with him who believes, to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. An amazing account. Lots and lots to glean from that account. But as you uh, see on your sheet there, the first of those eight things I'm listing, the effects of demonization, is self-harm. And I've listed there Matthew 17. That's the same account that we just read in Mark 9. Uh, Obviously, this demon was leading that boy into self-harm, throwing him into the fire, throwing him in the water, seeking to destroy him. Demons are killers, and that's what they're about. And uh, they can lead people into self-harm. Very, very sad and tragic. Something similar in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 24, we see that physical infirmities are a part of this. We talked about the woman with the uh, bad back, but there are many cases of this, and Matthew 12 is one of them. Matthew 12, 22 to 24. Someone want to read that one for us? 12, 22 to 24. Mike, thank you. Then a demon-possessed man who was one in you was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Yeah, 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 that worked out for him, uh, taking that tactic, didn't it? Uh, that's where uh, Jesus launches into an amazing rebuke of them. But uh, the demon-possessed man was blind and mute. And so, you know, we talked about a bad back earlier, but blindness and muteness coming from a demon. And uh, when Jesus healed him, he spoke and saw. So the demon was the problem. The demon was blocking those physical functions from happening correctly. And so demons can lead people into self-harm. Demons can touch people's bodies and cause physical disabilities or infirmities. And we know, too, that they can speak through the person and uh, have what we would label as a split personality. They could cause that to happen. We can see an instance of that. I have on your sheet Mark 4, but it's actually Luke chapter 4, so sorry about that. Luke 4, 31 to 37. I'm going to read this account, and then I'll pause there to see if you've got any uh, thoughts or 
questions. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 31, reading through verse 37. It says, And he, Jesus, came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. So, uh, verses 33 and 34 are central here, where the man is crying out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other? It's the demon speaking through, or the demons, plural, speaking through the person. And so, that is another effect of demonization, where a person can appear to have a split personality or uh, just... Sometimes the voice even changes and sounds different where the demon is speaking through the person. Okay? All right. Thoughts, questions on those three effects of demonization? Logan? I just felt maybe a little off the wall. <laughs> Great. But, uh, so, you were saying, you know, back in biblical times, you would see more of this happening. Um, do you think it actually happens more today, but then they put like a medical term on it? Oh, totally. One million percent. Yes. So, so I, I, I actually thought about bringing in, uh, maybe I'll do it next time. I've got a, a DSM-5 diagnostic manual for psychiatrists where, yeah, you flip through and there's mental illness after mental illness after mental illness, and the book gets bigger with every new edition. So yes, yeah. I, mean, I say that, you know, I, I work with a lot of mentally handicapped children and older, older people. Yeah. And, and they're very sweet. Um, and, and I don't even want to kind of paint the picture there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, certainly not to say that every mental right. illness is, yes. No, yeah, yeah. I was in Provo and I was, we were getting out of the rig. Behind us, and there was two rigs that had pulled in close to each other, and the two ladies were talking to each other. And so I was getting out, and we were headed in. And I looked over, and the lady is on her knees, like in in the rig. And so I ran over there, and she's like foaming and just doing a seizure. And so I get her, put her on the ground. I'm like, you know, do I need to call an ambulance or what? And the other lady, came, oh, this happens all the time. I was like, well, she shouldn't be driving. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. yeah, first of all, let's take away her driver's license. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh huh. So, yeah, I'm just saying, I think it might, it does happen way more than Yes. Realize. Yeah. And we could say it happened more in the in Bible times, but I'm not sure. Yeah. No, and, and uh, one of the thoughts that came up in this study for me um, that I had never had before was you know, there's a set number of demons. We're not getting more angels and demons throughout the course of history. It's a set number. Um, however, the number of humans is growing. So the ratio of demons to humans 
is weighing differently these days. And so I think that's a part of maybe why we don't see as much. Obviously, too, during Jesus' ministry, they wanted to affect and block what Jesus was doing, what the early church was doing. So I think there's a higher concentration there for that reason. But, uh, yes, I think it's still going on very much. And uh, <laughs> one of the silly TikTok trends that was going around recently and maybe still is, and there was actually a magazine uh, or a article in World Magazine about this, this, uh, this trend of teenagers saying they had some sort of multiple personality syndrome. I can't remember what it's called. But uh, basically, this, it would be like, I've got seven, seven people living inside of me, and at will, like, a, uh, I don't know, like a re- revolving door or something, I can make any of them front. It's called fronting. And so, okay, here comes Charlie, and Charlie talks like this. Hey, how's it going? Oh, oh, here comes Edna. Hey, how's it going? You know, it's like this goofy, dumb thing. And they, they'll say, uh, they all have their own handwriting, they all have their own interests, and they all have their own personality, and it's, I could switch at will. Well... <clears throat> They either have demons or they're imitating having demons. That's all that that is, okay? Um, so I, I think a lot of it is just a cry for attention, but a lot of it is truly demonic. And uh, it can show up in the form of mental illness or physical things, as you were just saying about that lady in the truck. So, yeah, it's still going on, for sure. And it lends itself to the skepticism in this country, in the West in general. That, that everything is material. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that there's no use for psychologists or psychiatrists, but I also know that many of the things that affect us are spiritual in their root, what's causing the issue. So, you know, I. I, I don't know. It's, it seems to be putting too much faith into some sort of quasi-science mm-hmm. is kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. Yep. Quasi-science is correct. Name one. Well, the thief, Jesus said the thief comes in John 10.10. 10, the thief comes only, only, that's his only purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes. But thank God, Jesus said, but I have come to give life and that in, abund- in its abundance. Mm-hmm. But in here in America and throughout the world, we're, we are, like what Andy was saying earlier, Andrew, I don't know how he, what, what his name said. Sir, Sir Andrew is perfect. But, you know, with, with like what he's mentioned, all these babies, I mean, that's, that's, from, yes. the, that's from the enemy. Oh, yes. This LGBTQ, and I'm not trying to offend anybody here. But this, the, it, look at the mutilation of what we're doing to, what we're allowing to happen to our, our, our young people. TikTok. TikTok is and, yeah. and, and in China, TikTok is monitored. They don't let America have China. Okay, China, the TikTok that we have in America is not allowed in China. Because here in America, its intent, its purpose is to what John 10 said. It's to steal, kill, and destroy yeah. our, our young people. That's what the, the, the enemy working. is alive and well. I'm sorry. And it's working. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the kids, they, they don't know that they're, they're being told that girls are boys and boys are girls. Instead of just being like you're a tomboy. If you're allowed to be a tomboy, right. just be a tomboy. Yeah, I was a tomboy. I'm a tomboy, still. Yeah. I'm a tomboy. <laughs> I thought your name was Sir Andrew. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, 
There are so many ways that we are impacted by what's going on globally. I mean, just all the time, anything that's happening in any part of the world is impacting us here. Um, and yes, there are many, many avenues that we are influenced and uh, demons are crafty. So we will pick it up here next time talking about uh, five other effects of demonization in the New Testament and uh, then getting into tactics of demons among believers after that. Okay. So I'll pray, and then we'll uh, be dismissed for this evening. God, again, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. We thank you for our salvation and our security in Christ. God, help us as we live this life, as we walk through this world, to be led by your Spirit. You've told us that as many are as led by the Spirit are your sons and daughters. And Lord, that's our desire, is to remain in the truth, to uh, be immersed in your love and grace and mercy, that our thoughts would be protected, that our families would be protected, that our church would be protected. God, we want to honor you in all that we're doing uh, and walk in your power in this life, that you would make much of yourself through us. Lord, keep us safe as we travel home tonight and bring us back together safely the next time we meet. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.